0: You are listening to KZYX 90.7 FM Philo, KZYZ 91.5 FM Willits and Ukiah, 88.1 FM Fort Bragg. Altogether, we make up Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, member-supported community radio. We also stream live on the web at kzyx.org. Support for KZYX comes from our members and the Good Farm Fund, a community organization providing direct support to small farmers with the aim to increase local food security in Mendocino County. For more information, goodfarmfund.org or Good Farm Fund on Instagram and Facebook. Support for KZWX comes from our members and Down Home Foods South of Oakland on Franklin Street in Fort Bragg, bringing healthy food, groceries, and supplements to the community for 48 years. Down Home Foods at sandwiches, salads, and juices for lunch six days a week. Down Home Foods, 707-964-4661. Mind if I sit down, everything you pray for, everything you play for me. Hi, and welcome to Be More Now. My name is Blake Moore, and tonight I'm interviewing Mendocino County poet and Wallala Arts Center's artist-in-residence, Dana Teen Lomax. In a mix of poetry, process, and discovery, we'll be discussing Dana's poetry, as well as her recent anthology, The Beautiful, An optimistic, wise collection of images and poetry highlighting America's 50 states, the District of Columbia, and the U.S. territories and commonwealths. But first, in honor of Dana's book, here's a song that just released a few days ago, Beautiful by Coldplay. Before I share our conversation, I want you to know a little bit about Dana. She's a fourth-generation Californian, and she's lived on the Mendocino coast for nearly three years. Currently, she's the 21-22 Poet in Residence at the Wallala Arts Center. The daughter of a painter and a builder, Dana began writing poetry as a child and remembers melting crayons in her bedroom and drawing poems around the swirls of color as a way of dealing with her parents' divorce. Early on, she knew that language had the ability to help people understand experience, help us sort, uncover, and or complicate how we see the world. In high school, she borrowed a copy of E.E. Cummings selected poems at the local library, and the possibilities on the page shifted tremendously for her. Dana began to see poetry as a deep conversation with form, with the reader, with ways of directing experience and connecting with others in intimate ways. A lecturer at San Francisco State University for over two decades, Dana has taught writing in schools, prisons, libraries, hospitals, pubs, and farmer's markets. She served as the Director of Small Press Traffic, the Human Rights and Equity Chair for the Teachers Union, and as a traveling poet teacher with the Performing Arts Workshop, the William James Association, as well as California Poets in the Schools. To date, Dana has published three large scale editorial projects and three books of poetry, as well as numerous chapbooks, broadsides, and discrete poems. Her most recent anthology includes work from every U.S. state, district, and territory, and commonwealth, and it's entitled The Beautiful Poets Reimagine a Nation. Dana also edited Kindergarten, Poems, Plays, Stories, and Songs for Children, which received a Creative Work Fund grant, as well as the Lion and Unicorn Award for Excellence in North American Literature from John Hopkins University Press. High points in Dana's career include when her book Disclosure was chosen by the Guerrilla Girls as one of their favorite poetry books of the year, and the broadside printing of her poem Lullaby by Orion Press in San Francisco. Her current project, Unnamed Relation, considers the links and jumps between ideas, people, and ourselves in the world. Poems from this manuscript have been published in the American Poetry Review, The Elderly, and the Pi Review, among others. She's also working on completing a graphic novel with former middle school student Peyton Alexander, making poem films, writing a musical with her identical twin sister, and completing a short documentary about inequity in California's education system. Find out more about the amazing Dana Teen Lomax at her website, because there's lots more, and that's danateenlomax.com. Here's a conversation we had earlier this week.
1: Welcome, Dana Teen Lomax. It's such a pleasure to have you here with me. Do you want to start us off with a poem? Hi. Sure. Yeah.
2: Let's see. Okay, this is from, it's an excerpt from a larger manuscript called Unnamed Relation. And I think you've seen them. They're the ones that are all hyphenated together. And these poems all begin with the in-between. This one's called Narrow Vision. The in-between of narrow vision. For whatever reason... Only 1% of the human visual field is high resolution. The fovea, as it's called. The rest of what we see peripherally is like looking through frosted glass. Check it out. It's weird that even a common goat sees more of the world at one time than we do. Also, mantis shrimp, dragonflies, and chameleons too, who all have wider fields of view. Clearly the word common for any animal is a misnomer. And this might explain the cruelty that we enact on each other.
1: Uh, so you want to talk a little bit about poetry and you and how poetry found itself in your life and maybe some background and who you are.
2: Yeah, sure. So, um When I was little, I wrote a poem, Um, my parents uh, had a volatile relationship, (laughs) to say the least. My dad uh, was an alcoholic and my mom was a fundamentalist Christian and they made a really loving and volatile (laughs) parent. Interesting combination, Uh, right. Yeah, trip out. Uh, They were really loving people and both very creative. Uh, My dad designed houses, my mom was a painter And uh, not professionally, but I have paintings all over my house that she did beautiful landscapes and seascapes and, and um, so I would go in my room when they would fight and I would write poems to help me figure it out and get through it or in some cases, just kind of block it out. And so it was a way of understanding the world and finding a solace, I guess, you know, when I was really little. And so I wrote just I just wrote as a way of dealing with the world. Um, Do you remember how
1: old you were when you first wrote one?
2: You know, I think I was like, I was in elementary school, so maybe like, I don't know, I want to say seven, but it's probably more realistically like nine, something like that. And um, uh, my mom, (laughs) who was prone to do this, would go through my trash can and look at what I was doing in my room, you know, and she found one of my poems and she... Blew it up into she, she had it. Some one of our friends did calligraphy and he did this calligraphy piece and then painted a rose behind it. And they put this, they made poster sized prints of this. And I was so embarrassed. I thought, oh my God, no. But then it was also at the same time, sort of like, wow, people think it's good. You know what I mean? Like, wow,
1: like I didn't, I was right. Really the cringe factor also came along with this idea of that, oh, they, yeah, they like it. Right. Exactly. And so
2: it was this terrible invasion of privacy and then it sort of had that second part to it, you know. So, um, yeah, so I've been writing ever since and um, my parents didn't go to college. So I remember I was uh, probably, you know, maybe eighth grade and a, a kid came over and was talking about this thing called an MFA that you could go and be go to college and just do art. And I was like, no way. Like, I, I just thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> you could do Like a like dream. Could,
1: what? You could just do this the whole time? <laughs> like you could do, you have like to get a little, job. Exactly. <laughs> I was like,
2: Can you really do that? Like oh so that's what I did. I mean, it took a long time. I you know, I'm from a working class family and so I was I went to junior college and then I went to Sonoma State and then I went to U C Santa Cruz and then I went to San Francisco State. Like you know, I just kept it it, it took a long time. But um I got my master's from SFSU, and then I taught there for a number of years in creative writing and composition.
1: Which is a very well-known writing university. It's very, very famous for that, at least in the Bay Area. It's pumped out many, many brilliant, well-louded writers.
3: I
2: was so lucky to work with Norma Cole and Bob Gluck and uh, Myung Mi Kim and just these amazing experimental writers that changed my life. Uh And, yeah, the cohort I was with was, you know, Sarah Ann Cox, Yetta Morrison, Jocelyn Fadenberg, just these incredible women writers. And, uh, I mean, I could go on. Erin Wilson, Lauren Shaw. Diane Frank
1: was there, too, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. I'm so happy for her. I
1: know she keeps winning things.
2: Awesome, <laughs> she awesome. was a guest
1: on the show a couple of times over the last few years. Great. She, she was our feature poet for Third Thursday Poetry, which you are going to be also.
2: Woohoo. I'm so
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be in August, yes. Right. Talk about your own work and when I mean, do you find yourself writing different times of the day all the time when something inspires you? What's your writing habit?
2: You know, um, I'm trying to be, it's it's this lifelong practice of trying to be the person who writes every day, and um, it's sort of, <laughs> I've also been trying to develop a meditation practice. I think they go together well, and um, I'm much more sporadic than that right now. Unfortunately, I wish I could say that I get up every morning. I'm working to be that person that gets up <laughs> in the morning and, <laughs> and writes everything down and carves out a time, but it just seems like... One thing leads into another, and you know I'm I'm busy a lot. Days on,
1: yeah, to be that person. Mm -hmm. I was always one of those poem a day person, kept a journal religiously, and a lot of my younger disciplines have kind of moved into something else, right? I think that's part of the as you get older and more accomplished on some level, some of those extra needs don't they change a little bit? Right. No,
2: absolutely.
1: Do you prefer to sit down at night or in the day or
2: Yeah, it's a lot of whenever, but I do find that in the evenings when it's quiet and the cats are on the couch and it's just everything's the dishes are done or not, and I'm just sitting here um, toasty and quiet, that's a great time for me to write. Yeah, and um, so I do that several times a week, and I have a manuscript right now that's (laughs) 136 pages and it's just going every which way but um i just keep adding to it and we'll see what happens
1: do you have a working title
2: uh yeah unnamed relation is the is mm-hmm. the working title i'm nice. um, i it's sort of rivaling i have another one called it, that i'm thinking about uh called seat in the booth but i think unnamed relation right now is winning
1: do you want to read as a poem
2: sure let me see mm-hmm. which one this one kind of explains seat in the booth so i'll go with this one The in-between of we were all once a single-celled organism. You, me, and every person that's urinated on themselves a little at some point or another. So just as I might be pissed off at you, stepmother, for wanting, as Sarah Ann Cox says, to erase me if you could. Or you, cousin, for not having known how to take your mental health more seriously. Or for the spots I cannot see, I apologize please forgive me, and come on over because we have saved you a comfortable, clean seat here in the booth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm thanks, for, thanks for the seat. I appreciate that save. <laughs> 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 that's great. A, a lot of forgiveness that we all, I think, need more of in our life, right?
2: Oh, my God, all the time, all the time.
1: It's a never-ending process. I think that's one thing the last few years have really taught us and taught me, I know for sure, is that more forgiveness, more tolerance. You know, the one thing that I remember is if there's anger or hate in my heart, it hurts nobody but me. Oh, for sure. That's such a big lesson because sometimes things make me angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what do you right. do? Oh, my God. Well, do I carry it around or do I find a way to express it? And man, poetry is such a beautiful way to find that forgiveness, You know, get that stuff out. Because otherwise it just gets lodged. You still have to express it somehow, right?
2: Right, right. I'm just thinking, like, in the face of, you know, Rogue.
3: Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah.
2: You know, like, the, I, I think about the efficacy of poetry a lot. And um, I don't think it's either or. Like, I have a poem about this, actually. Um, how do we use poetry to channel our... our I mean, anger means we're not getting what we want, right? <laughs> or we've been wronged, right? Something. Where, where does anger come from? And right. It comes from fear that, a lot of times, too, right? Right, that yeah. secondary emotion, right? But I also, just maybe this is just what I've dealt with, but when I feel wronged, I get mad, you know? <laughs> when I feel like something's yeah. wrong, I want to change it. I want to do something. And so since I'm an artist and since I'm a poet, I go to my work to do that. Yeah, um, right. Could I read a poem that kind of grapples with that idea? Oh, please, of course, yes. Yeah, okay, this is uh, this is sort of dealing with that idea of what poetry can change. The in-between of understanding Rashida Phillips' comment to someone else. But alas, it appears you are still using the privilege of whiteness to gain currency that you don't deserve. Thinking of the term deserve from Latin, to serve zealously, serve well. Weighing again the pearly whiteness all over me, the uncounted luxuries it provides. My writing collective says, in questions of society, they're on the side of poetry. And Jack Spicer says, poems alone could never, or likely will never, pay anyone back.
1: Hmm. Yeah, right.
2: So I don't know which it is, right? I mean. Of course I'm on the side of poetry. I'm a poet. (laughs) I write to try to change society and make a difference. And also, we need to change legislation. We need justice.
1: I mean, what we really need to do is we need to find the checks and balances again. You know, unfortunately, we think it's parties, but it's really not. It's corporations. There's been so much corruption, and for the most part, I don't believe our elected leaders are really our our best interests are not in their hearts. When you look at who funds them and how, how crazy and out of control the whole system has gotten. And right,
2: with Citizens
1: United, where corporations can
2: be seen as individuals, it's ridiculous. Well, right?
1: when I when I was voting in this last primary, I spent a bunch of time looking at who supported the candidates. And. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at who supported the supporters of the candidate, where they get their money.
3: And Mm -hmm. then you start
1: realizing all the money is coming from the same places for both sides. So while we think we're voting for a Democrat or Republican or an Independent or a Green or, you know, for this issue or that, when you keep narrowing the pencil keep getting closer you realize that for the most part a lot of the things that are going on are corporate driven by yeah
2: yeah have you heard that Ilya Kaminsky poem we lived happily during the war yes yes in the country of money and I think it's Oh, I wish I could remember it. It's something like, in the city of money, in the state of money, in the country of money, our country of money, we, forgive us, live happily during the war. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of, just the repetition of money and that is just so apt.
1: Well, and those of us here in America especially, you know, a friend of mine used to always say, well, yeah, we live on the supply side of empire. You know, we're lucky for that. You know, in that right. sense that we have this opulence when, when we look at the imbalances around the world, and so many of us don't think about that and don't really take the time to look at that level of injustice, the global injustices. So, unfortunately, what I'm seeing is a lot of the leaders are using our own good values against us, but in so many ways aren't really, <laughs> it's, it's rhetoric. It's hard. It's so hard. And I think as a poet, I don't want to offend either side. And I know for myself, I can't help but I'm a utopiast. I want the world to be beautiful for everybody, you know. And so then how do you find that that, that space in that? Where, where do you, you know, where do you forgive, I guess, is the word that comes to mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And sometimes that would even be forgive yourself for what you see, right? Right.
0: I just want to take a moment to remind you that you're listening to Be More Now, I'm your host Blake Moore, and I'm speaking with Walala Art Center artist in residence Dana Teen Lomax.
1: Right. How do you share your poems out in the world? Um, that's a really good question.
2: How do I share them? Well,
1: so I
2: pre-COVID, I would go to readings and you know be out in the scene. I I loved. Uh, the small press traffic readings, and I loved going to when there was Knessa gallery readings, you know, the city's just full of so many great readings, and I would go all the time. And then with COVID, now I go to Zoom readings, which in a way has been great, right? Because we get to go all over, you know, readings in New York, readings wherever, they're just available to us in our living rooms, so that's great. Um, but I, um, it's been kind of a quiet time because of what I'm going through personally, And it's been um, sort of a, I in a little bit of a hermitage. Uh, So, I mean, I published books. The Beautiful just came out, and it's not just my work, but I consider editorial work also creative and conceptual, and so I've been eagerly promoting The Beautiful. And then this book, I have been sending it out to a few places. I just uh, finished, I guess it's been a while now, maybe eight months ago or something, I finished the a residency um, online in Barcelona, which was really great, called de Nord, and I met these incredible women from all over the world and shared poetry that way, and it was my first... Oh, that's
1: a wonderful opportunity, an online residency. That's pretty cool. It was How really you- cool. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, there were people from, I mean, everywhere, <laughs> and uh, we're still in touch, and we're still, you know, talking about each other's work, and... Um, I hadn't been on a residency before and it was a very strange way to do it, but I was honored. And then I also, after that, it sort of fueled me, uh, to apply to the Banff Center for the Arts in Banff, Canada. And I had a virtual residency there, which was really great. And it was one of those things, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but, um, even still, I have imposter syndrome sometimes as an artist. (laughs)
1: <laughs> like who am I I'm not really an artist right <laughs> yeah well like am
2: I do I belong here whatever and so <laughs> I'm not good enough <laughs> you're so yeah, you're
1: Jordan. so brilliant I love that that's just so funny right <laughs> well so,
2: this this writer Jordan Abel uh wrote this great book called Nishka and I just really admire it and I it's I love that book so much and he was there and he was one of the facilitators and I got so weird
1: have you, do you know what I mean? Like I took off. Yes, work. I do that. I, like, I I sometimes do that. If I'm attracted to someone, I just get really goofy. And I'm like, Why, what are you doing? You're not <laughs> 13 anymore. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yes. We had like self-deprecating and then also like alternately
1: edgy, like just weird, yeah. right? But so
2: <laughs> that was really interesting to have a residency and be like that. Um, but, I, you know, it did. It, it was great to put work out in those forms because they were international. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much about, you know, um, education camps for, for the natives in Canada.
1: And boarding schools. I think they were re-education boarding schools is what I remember. After. Yeah.
2: The, oh yeah. Here it's called it.
1: Jordan Abel wrote a book
2: about the residential school system in Canada and the, the intergenerational effects of that, um, yeah. extending from like his grandparents to his father, to himself. And it was just, it's such a striking book if people haven't read Nishka, I would totally recommend it. But there I was sharing my work in this this international forum being a goofball. Uh, (laughs) It was so funny. But, you know, again, I made great friends there. Danny Spinoza, a a really interesting experimental and conceptual writer, does um, concrete poetry in many different ways, like so interesting. And um, I found out about this book, Dear Science, um, McKittrick, um, just also changed my life. Um, so I, I get I share work in these forums with other artists right now. I haven't been out and about just because of, you know, COVID and my own personal health and my own, some personal situations that are going on. So I'm not quite ready. I have been through the Lalala Art Center, uh, Seuss over there. I love them so much. And he, when I met him, he was like, you know, we could stand to have a poet in residence here. Would you do us the service? And I was like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. So I'm excited about, you know, putting something together there where we can all share work and, and form a stronger community in the writing. Oh,
1: that's great. Among writers here. Yeah. That's wonderful. Re- would you read us a poem? Sure, sure, I'd be glad to.
2: Let's see, Um find one here. There's one at the end that I wanted to read. Okay, the in-between of my foot and when it hits the ground, touches the earth, meets it if I'm being poetic or particularly cheery. The overall effect of where we are headed and why, plus how much energy we will take to get there, The bills look stupid in the table's morning light in the Anthropocene. The toey song that we won't recognize, busy as we are constantly with contrived human concerns. It works to expand and help us inhabitants. It helps us hear all this from the Sundarban's increasingly
1: vital perspective. Mm, that is a wonderful poem. So, you want to segue into The Beautiful? Why don't you give some background to the listening audience what The Beautiful is?
2: Yeah, so The Beautiful Poets Reimagine a Nation is an anthology that includes some of America's foremost poets uh, from all across the United States, uh, including the territories Commonwealth, and districts of the United States. And, um, it's, it's a collection that started because I had lost so many people that I love. Um, they, my parents died, my best friend that I've known since I was four died of cancer. Uh, we had a nephew who died in a car crash. I had uh, Steve's brother, my, my ex's brother, um, I died earlier before in a in a tragic accident. Just so many people, our family dog died. I mean, it it, it was one right after the other, and it really hasn't let up. Um, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was like, I don't know where how I can find joy, and I know it's out there, but I certainly can't find it. So I thought, well, if I had something beautiful, like I needed to find the beauty, right? So I said, if I had something beautiful coming to me, how can I do that? So I thought about the extended poetry family people and, and um, poets that I've read for years that I've never met, but people whose work I'm familiar with and has meant something to me. And I decided to write to them and see if they would send me something beautiful from where they live. And I wanted something that they did not create because I didn't want it to be about you know, look what I can do. Or here's my latest project. And I think that energy is really cool. I love that um, energy of of creation that is so vital and churning in people. But I just grief doesn't really look for that. I just needed something shared. And um, I wrote to all these poets, including two poet laureates, uh, Juan uh, Herrera, Felipe, Juan Felipe Herrera, sorry. (laughs) and uh, Joy Harjo, and asked, hey, would you send something? And they said yes. So Dorothy Alasky, uh, let's see, Arthur Zah, just so many of our, Dor- uh, Perdita Sharma, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of who's all in here. Um, Linda Pesten um, let me think here, Jericho Brown, He's uh Pulitzer Winner, Jaime Cortez, just lots of really great poets. Dorian Locks, just our treasures right across the nation. And I was so taken with how generous they were and they started sending me beautiful things. And I asked for a just a hundred word description, or I think I even said seventy-five, really short description of why they sent what they sent. Because when a person is grieving, you can only you can only <laughs> concentrate for so long. It's like you can't really take a lot in. Um, and the result is the beautiful. And I looked for publishers and I, I looked and I had publishers, different publishers at different points who once the pandemic hit that we worried about the supply chain, or they ran out of money or they pulled out or in one case, I pulled out because I got uncomfortable with some of the associations with the press. And I had this book. And when I moved up here, I, it was one of the things I showed David Susala to at the Malala Art Center, and he said, yeah, we can publish that. And it's not a cheap book. It's full of color and all kinds of things, and And we found a way to do it, and it's been going gangbusters ever since. People are really seem to identify with the need to – use social justice in many cases and also surprising things beyond a beautiful picture to bring us solace as a nation.
1: I like that. Do you want to read something from it?
2: Yeah. One of, there's so many good things, but one of the surprising ones maybe is Alabama and it's. Timely. (laughs) Yeah. What's that? I said timely. Yes, exactly. So Jacqueline Allen Trimble uh, has a picture of the um, National Memorial for Peace and Justice, and I'll read what it says. And then I'll read her description of why she thought this was beautiful. For the hanged and beaten for the shot drowned and burned for the tortured, tormented and terrorized for those abandoned by the rule of law, we will remember with hope because hopelessness is the enemy of justice with courage because peace requires bravery with persistence because justice is a constant struggle, with faith because we shall overcome. Here's what Jacqueline Ellen Trimble writes of this. These words appear on a wall in EJI's National Memorial for Peace and Justice. Located in Montgomery, Alabama, once the capital of the Confederacy and a hub for slave auctions, the memorial enacts Keats' pronouncement, beauty is truth, truth, beauty, by commemorating victims of racialized terror lynched throughout the United States. The words, like the memorial, testify to the power of truth-telling, transforming what was ugly into a beautiful symbol of hope and reclaiming our collective humanity.
1: Mm, That's beautiful. And who wrote that?
2: That is Jacqueline Allen Trimble. And then Washington State, I'll read a couple more if it's okay. Oh, please, yes. Washington State was by Sam and Sally Green, and their granddaughter, Cora Green, um, took a picture of these shoes that were left out in, in the, for a year or over the winter. And they are moss-covered. They look like little and You can't even really see them unless you look really carefully at the picture. They look just like part of all the woods, right? But then you look, and you can make out these shoes.
1: I have a few of those. I put plants in shoes. I've got a couple of those outside where – you don't even really know their planters. So I understand. Yeah,
2: that's so cool. Yeah. So they write sat in Washington State, Sally and Sam Green wrote, our granddaughter discovered these moss-covered shoes just off a trail on the tiny island where she lives. We think they are not only sculpturally beautiful, but also an unintentional memento mori, how, transi- how transient we are. Knew they would look out of place. Now they have come home visually and literally as food for moths, we make a great shouting as a people but there is an interior place in us something like tiardi's haunted silence nice here's so, tennessee oh yeah please there's a picture of an african-american family with lucky shirts on and they all have like uh mardi gras necklaces but it says happy saint patrick's day it's just a beautiful picture and there's they're at a table and there are presents and candles and and this one woman is holding uh, there are two babies and this one woman's holding the babies and she has a wreath of flowers that she's wearing on her head. Tennessee by Amakajo. My twin cousins celebrated their first birthday in Memphis, Tennessee on St. Patrick's Day, and though we aren't Irish, their parents sported bright green shirts that read "lucky." Fifty years after Dr. King's assassination on the balcony of the Lorraine Hotel, there is still a need to proclaim, I am a man. And yet, the children are eager for cake. And yet, sometimes we feel our blessings like a crown of flowers on our heads. <laughs>
1: and and Thank you chose Arkansas. Tell, tell me about your entry.
2: Arkansas. Well, um, There's a picture of my grandma, my grandma Lucy, who was one of my favorite people ever, and she's, it looks like a really old-timey photo. She's asleep on a porch swing, and I'm not sure who took the picture, but I just know they must have really loved her, because it's such a, it's well framed, and they just, you can tell they cared about her, and I wrote this about Arkansas. Grandma Lucy said Arkansas is the only state you could build a fence around and still have everything you'd need. I felt that way about her. She made magic out of not much. Cardinals on the fence post, sweet tea and fried okra, a ribbon tied at the neck. Her racism jolted me and divided us. The best parts of who I am come from her, and so does the history I work to heal.
1: I love it. Go ahead.
2: Well, she was racist, my grandmother. Hmm. And it was no small thing between us. And I loved every other thing about her. She was funny. She didn't have a mean word about anyone, but then she did. Yeah. You know, she, and it was, it was not okay. (laughs) And I would try to talk to her about it. And we'd actually, it was the only thing we thought about. Um, And, you know, I, this is so funny, but I went to, have you ever heard of the
1: spiritualist church? Hmm. Is it kind of a fundamental church, or is it?
2: No, the spiritualist church in San Francisco is on Franklin Street. Oh, the one in San
1: Francisco. Francisco. Of course I have, yes. yes.
2: Yeah, where the dead talk to you. you they, have, they have these people that are, like, uh, psychics, or I'm not sure. Medium, they, they, right, right. Mediums, mediums, thank you. There are mediums who come, and you go there on these certain times. That they don't always have it but you know, like twice a week or something. And you go and I went and grandma Lucy talked to me. And it was, you know, Wow. I'm like, always sort of, is it real? Is it real? But they said, you know, you're there's a grandmother figure here. And I had a short grandma and a tall grandma. And I'm like, Oh, which grandma is it? And it was really weird that day I got up and I was like, Oh, I gotta go to this church. And I never I've been there twice, something, you know, I'm like, I gotta go there. And I went there, and so right. the, I, was the first person, I was the first person called, and they said, Yeah, you, uh, Grandma's here. And I'm like, Was it the short one or the tall one? She's very tall. And I was like, oh, Okay, that's a grandma. And then it was just the person said, She wants you to know she's really sorry for the things that she said oh. um, that were mean spirited, and she sees the work you're doing. And at the time, I was uh, the human rights and equity chair for the union, the teachers' union. And she sees the work that you're doing to promote justice and fairness, and she wants you to know how sorry she is. So I feel like she apologized from the grave for her racism. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway.
1: Well, I mean, I think that that's something that one realizes at some point. If you believe in an afterlife, I would imagine that that's the idea of the reckoning or something, whatever. However, whatever your spirituality or religion tells you what that is, I think we have many, many different names for it. But, I like to imagine that there's a world somewhere where racism doesn't exist at all, and everyone who has experienced it or expresses it, all of that healing takes place. Wouldn't that be amazing?
2: Well, yeah. yeah. And my in this piece about Arkansas, I'm I'm thinking that maybe if we all did that work now, we could, it uh-huh. could be here.
1: Right. I'm with you. <laughs> my my family, my mom also came from Arkansas, and I used to. It's been like a month or six weeks at a time during summer. And I came from Los Angeles, and I definitely was shocked by the racism that I encountered as young as six and witnessed it. And it um, shifted who I am and made me even more uh, adamant of the equality of all people. Right. So my grandparents were also very racist.
2: Yeah, and I I have to keep myself in check because that's the foundation of my family experience, right? And so I'm always working hard to understand how to how to make sure we heal that in in my generation.
1: Yeah, you know? well, I mean, my grandparents were poor. You know, when you look at the way the whole thing is set up, when you really look at it for a lot of people, this idea that they're, they need someone beneath them to feel okay about their lives that's a human trait, right? We tend to do that. Someone's always worse off than us. And for some people you kind of need someone to be above. And in those days it was definitely people of color In some parts of our society, people with less money.
2: But do we have to have that? Like why would we have to have
1: that? That's Oh, oh, don't we have- don't have to have it. I'm I'm with you on that. We we certainly
3: don't. Yeah, have yeah, to
2: have yeah. That's like, wait, but but and I think my grandma it was what was hard about it for me was she was so loving and smart uh-huh. and so generous and then to hear this this these ugly violent language I would be like but,
1: what? but they're doing that now I mean we saw it in the last two years uh, toward people who chose not to vaccinate I mean there was um, there's a place where you make them not human it's what the Germans what happened with the Jewish people. the the poor whites and just the white people with the people of color in the South. So it is part of our human nature. And if we see someone not only as other, but as animal, we can justify it. There's this weird psychology that makes it okay. Even for loving, wonderful, kind, compassionate people, there's a cognitive dissonance that takes place that if you can put someone in a category that they don't care about others or their skin color is wrong or, you know, they're stealing all our money or whatever the reasons are that we have seen throughout history that have created these vast programs, you know, or big disparities in our world. And it's a very interesting subject psychologically, you know, really solving the problem because we all, I think all of us, know that that problem exists, right? It's out there.
2: right, And we've all
1: seen it. I've seen friendships and families fall apart the last few years over COVID. So we've actually got something, like, we're seeing it in real time, and that's been shocking. I did not expect to see that.
2: Oh, so you mean because of the choice to not back, Is that what you mean? Yeah,
1: whether you vaccinate or not or how you right. whether you put a mask on or not, you know, whether you're, it, it makes you a not a nice person because you don't do this or this is the way it is. I mean, there's so much division that is um, unfortunate that, I mean, we need reconciliation and we need people that hold the different understandings. It's tough, you know.
2: Right, I've right, tried to bring right.
1: people together, and, and, and I think I'm pretty successful because I do my best to lead with compassion and understanding, but it's been um, an interesting dance, for sure. Right, yeah. right. And when we're talking about something like inequality, we have to ask ourselves,
2: how much are we willing to give up to make things equal? <laughs> you know, and that always gets tricky. Um, I I don't know. But, but The yeah. Beautiful, I yeah. really wanted it to be, with this anthology, The Beautiful, I was really hopeful that it would be nonpartisan, that it would be that people would would at least be able to agree on the values behind what was there.
0: Once again, I wanna remind you that you're listening to Be More Now. I'm Blake Moore and I'm speaking with Dana Teen Lomax with poet and writer as, well as editor of the anthology, The Beautiful.
2: Because when we talk about issues, it's not like we all have, the, at some point we all want safety, right? It's how we get there that is the, the rub. Right. And yeah. so the the, the values in, in this, I was a little sorry with the Kirkus review, although they called it wise and profound, which is awesome. They said that it was in reaction in part to the Trump era. And I really, you know, mm. I understand why they said that because there is a reference to him in the book. But really, it's about trying to find the human connection among us with all of the divisions and losses that we've all suffered in our traumatic
1: history. So, um
2: it's I think it's successful in
1: that. Yeah, I think so too, and I think you did a great job with that because it's, I don't feel partisan when I see it. I don't I mean, you know, I don't I don't get this idea that you're trying to promote one viewpoint or another. It just feels human to me. It feels very Right. I mean
3: I'm not trying to skirt away from
2: difficult poli- I don't want to skirt away from difficult political
1: questions and
2: and the anthology does not do that it talks about gun violence it talks about racism it talks about uh, women's issues and homelessness it talks about uh, really it addresses serious social problems but it looks at them in a way that is beautiful and is promoting the beauty that can happen when we take those issues on
1: together that's what we need to do and it does it feels a bit like a call to action how do you recognize the beautiful in your world where is it beautiful? What what can you see right. and can you focus on that beauty? Because I think that really helps us, especially in difficult times.
2: Thank you. Yeah, thank right. you.
1: Well, we are running out of time. Do you want to read us one more of your poems? Okay, of mine or from the book? Of, of yours. I'd like to hear one of your poems. Okay. I mean, you could. Why don't you do an excerpt from the book and then a poem of okay. your own?
2: So another from the book. Let me find one that. Let me find one that's different than what we've had. Really different. Oh, I'll read you um, Jericho Brown, who's in Georgia. Here's Jericho Brown. This is Georgia. And there's a sign that says seven even days on it. Restaurant owner, actor, comedian, handyman, apparel creator, music and video engineering, auto detailing, and pressure cleaning.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Georgia, Jericho Brown. Reach Hustleman at 561-661-9997. If you're anywhere in Georgia, he'll come to tell jokes or cook or lay tile or tell you about the goodness of Jesus for a fee. I met him in front of the barbecue pit attached to his truck on the street in front of a nightclub. He made me a rib sandwich. He is an example of everything black folk will do to survive.
1: And who was the person who wrote that one?
2: Jericho Brown. Okay. Yeah, he recently won the Pulitzer Prize for poetry. Mm -hmm. Not, not since Diane Seuss, but before that. Okay. Let me see. Let me see which one I want to read to you. Okay. Here's one. This is a poem from Unnamed Relation. The in between of class warfare. When I worked at San Francisco's downtown Alternative High School, the kids, quote unquote, wrote pieces about their hardships and were asked to perform them at ACT Theater. Afterwards, in a reflective circle, teachers said they were inspired by the connections made and the deep work art can do. While they processed with students, audience members stole the mics, the audio and lighting equipment, and the computers the place was cleared out and looking back that was the end of act three
1: mm, brilliant okay. thank, you. thank you Dana. what a pleasure it's been and if people want to find out more about you how can they do that the book you everything
2: oh thank you so much the uh the beautiful is available on the Walala arts website they have a shop and uh they're selling the books there at the lalala L- arts i think it's uh, org. and i have a website danateenlomax.com if people want to check out what i'm up to that's great
1: thank you so much you are a wonderful poet So <laughs> much. yes i really enjoy uh, a national treasure who's moved into our community so we're so lucky to have you i have known you through Poets in the Schools and didn't even realize you moved to our coast and discovered it. So I feel so lucky that you're here and sharing your beautiful work and bringing more great stuff into our community. So thank you for doing that.
2: Blake, thanks so much for having me, and I appreciate how generous you always are with me and with the community. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, my God. it's just, we, we, we all need each other, right? It takes a community to raise the poetry. <laughs> that is right. I'm- yes. hmm Welcome to Mendocino County. Glad you live here.
2: Thank you. I feel so lucky <laughs> <to> live
0: here. <laughs> so that was the voice of Wallala poet, author, and of course Walala Arts poet in residence Dana Teen Lomax. I'm Blake Moore, and you're listening to Be More Now. It's another. Thursday evening, first Thursday of July, here comes another month, and I'm grateful that you're here with me, and I want to let you know about some other shows coming up right here on KZYX. Tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., we have Forthright Radio with Joy LeClaire, and host Joy LeClaire is talking with British barrister and award-winning author Jamie Suskind about his latest book, The Digital Republic. On Freedom and Democracy in the 21st Century. And that's on Forthright Radio with your host Joy LeClaire. And that's tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And also tomorrow evening, Friday, July 8th at 7 p.m. We have Pride Radio Mendocino. And that's going to be with Corporal Sin and Terry. An hour of news and music from Mendocino County's LGBTQ community. And also that's every other Friday at 7 p.m. right here on KZYX. And I appreciate you listening. I want to apologize for my kitty in the background. He got into a little tussle with a scorpion and had to have some stitches. So he's an indoor cat right now, which is not his favorite thing. <laughs> I cannot get him to be quiet. <laughs> and despite my, my kitty cries, I'm going to continue Because there are a few important things happening this weekend. So I'd like to share with you on Saturday is a pretty good day in Casper. And that's the Casper Community Center from noon to 8 p.m. And that's celebrating 20 years of the Community Center with music by Joe and Hattie Craven, Secondhand Grass, New Nashville West, Mama Grows Funk, and Bug Guts. Music, libations, vendors, and a cupcake walk. And that will be outside and then on Sunday, from one to four p.m. at the Anderson Valley Fairgrounds in the Redwood Grove is a memorial for longtime KZOX enthusiast and Anderson Valley resident Diane Herring, and she passed away on May twenty-fourth of this year. And Uh, a wonderful treasure in our community. She served as general manager and membership director over the years and also was the host of the popular Wax music show, Lunch on the Back Porch. And people can bring memories of Diane, food or drink to share, and also musical instruments for a music jam. And again, that's 1 to 4 p.m. at the Anderson Valley Fairgrounds in the Redwood Grove on Sunday, July 10th. And one more event on Monday... And one more event. On Monday, July 11th from noon to 7 p.m. is the Casper Forest Fest, which is the second annual Sacred Pomo Homelands Casper Forest Fest. And that is going to also be at the Casper Community Center. And music includes Mama Gross Funk, Gene Parsons, Secondhand Grass, Diane Patterson, Daryl Cherney, Holly Tannen, and more. Speakers will include Priscilla Hunter of the Coyote Valley Band of Pomo Indians, Sarah Constance Rose, and Ravial Gautier of Mendocino County Youth for Climate. There will be ecology workshops in English and Spanish, kids activities, information booths, libations, and food by Daylin and her crew. All are welcome. No will be turned away. Donations accepted. And you can find out more information at savejackson.org. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And I wish you a beautiful evening. And since beauty is in the air, both in honor of Dana Teen Lomax's book, The Beautiful, and my love of the word. I tend to use beautiful a lot. I think it's a expression that just feels right inside my heart. So I'm going to take us out with one of my very favorite songs. This is called Something Beautiful and it's by Trombone Shorty and he's a New Orleans favorite. Always ends jazz fest every year. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> Here's to the reclamation of our hearts. Dig deep, dive in, and find gratitude. Have a beautiful evening.
3: Can you show me something?